0: Oh, mm-hmm. In-
1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio podcast series. I'm your host, Todd Middle Initial C Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we are listening to the Ted's Roots Band song, Warm Nights. Ted Jenkins, a local musician, and his group of cohorts. The song was recorded at Shabro Recording Studio in downtown Frederick. Engineer Doug Smith, and Doug Smith just happens to be sitting. Six feet away from me. Well, six and a half feet for social distancing. <laughs> and he's on the mic right now. Hi, Doug. Hey Todd. How are you?
2: I'm good. Great to see you back in the studio again. It's been a while.
1: It has, and you know, you are the third person I've been able to interview in person because I did Rick Hill and mm-hmm. I did Rod DC and then the social distancing and self quarantining came up and I had to do everything by phone. So I'm feeling a little out of sorts being in front of somebody pushing my buttons. And
2: well, I've never done anything like this, so I'm feeling a little out of sorts too. But we'll see how it goes.
1: Well, the uh, now talking about that song, mm-hmm. and I guess it's 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 a tune actually because there's no singing, right? Right.
2: Yeah. Ted 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 does does almost entirely instrumentals, uh, and a lot of them are his own compositions, but like as that was. Is it
1: really? Mm-hmm. Now is he a composer in that he? he writes everything on staff and everything oh yeah does he really
2: oh yeah he brought in that that was that that was recorded live in the in the studio no no overdubbing no fixes or anything and uh he brought in he brought in charts that were you know three feet wide and six feet long wow and we taped them up on the wall and it was the first time that the the rest of the group had ever seen this arrangement
1: now, how quickly did they actually produce it?
2: I think that was take four. That's it. Yeah. Well, it's a good it's a good group. That's Howard Burns on sax. Okay. Uh, Jesse Schulzeberger on drums. Celso Lopez on on percussion, and uh, we didn't hear much of the electric guitar yet. But the the electric guitar is Joel Newman, and then oh, Ted, sure. and then Ted is a bass player. He's the bass player.
1: I'll tell you the just I mean I was tapping my I tap my heel I don't tap my toe I don't know why but the I noticed that yesterday when I was uploading the music to the system my foot was just tapping the entire time mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. percussion the that kind of drives that whole piece in my personal opinion
2: right and that's Celso. he's he's got a he he just had a little setup we had a i had a little xy stereo pair of mics and he had congas and and some other stuff and uh he was just off off to one side by himself and of course of course jesse's keeping the the main thing going with with the kick and the snare and the full kit um but but a lot of what you hear out front on the percussion is Celso.
1: now so they had the charts on the wall. Mm-hmm. So they're all basically facing the wall, or do they each have their own individual they, charts?
2: They're, well, they're, they had they had charts on music stands as well. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Now, how do you go about miking or recording? Because that's what four. That's five people, right? That that's five? five. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that? I mean, the bass. I'm I'm assuming gets lined right in.
2: The the bass gets lined right in. the uh, The electric guitar. Uh, Joel was using a very small combo amp, and uh, and and uh, and he did want these, he did want the sound of that amp,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but we we put it off in in a corner with some baffling around it, and and uh, put a, put a couple of mics on the on the speaker that was built into the amp, uh, and then of course percussion were percussion both the drums and and Celso were just they were live mics in the room. And and how and of course Howard playing playing sax he he was just he was just close miked with a, a Sennheiser four twenty one for if, those if, audio if files out those, there for those audio files out there you, you you probably you may know that those are those are fantastic on for close miking of, of, of horns and saxes and things like that
1: now Jesse was he using the full kit Mm-hmm. now how do you mic a full kit
2: uh, for that because because there was so much. You know, every the, the the space here, obviously, we're we're looking at it. The, your audience isn't, uh, but but every everyone was in a space that was only about thirty by forty feet, uh, so we're it was cozy. Yeah. And uh, uh, if if I were doing drums, just on their own or with not much else going on live in the room at the time, I would I would use I would place mics a bit farther away and try to get the you know, try to get the, the sound of the kit in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, uh, I, I really had to close mic. So there were, there were probably close to, there were probably eight or 10 mics on that, the drums in, in close. The only, the only ones that were, that were spaced fairly far above were the, when there was a stereo pair of overhead mics.
1: Now, did you have to put a, um, a wall up in front of the, the we, kit? We, we put a few gobos. Did you?
2: Yeah, we put a, Put, put a few baffles around
1: because some of the photographs I see of 1960s 1970s recordings mm. they'll have what looks like a, a stand-up or, or a parlor piano with a blanket wrapped over it in mm-hmm. front of a guitar player mm-hmm. and then on the other <laughs> side of the room is a piano player on a, a grand and they've got some kind of a knee wall or something like that yeah
2: yeah yeah, so. that, yeah, that same same kind of thing. And and if anybody wants to see exactly what that layout was like, there is a there is a video of that take. At at at, uh, at I think if you just Google Ted's Roots Band, Frederick, Maryland. Uh, you'll you'll find that uh, there there is a there, there's a live video recording of that exact take of that and
1: song. Is, does he supply the cameras for the videos, or do you do that? Or
2: in in that case, his wife Connie, he's married to Connie okay. Guy, who yep. some folks around town will probably know, wonderful vocalist. Yes, absolutely. And and I just handed her a, a video camera. <laughs> <laughs> she's not the, 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 she's not she's by no means a professional videographer, but uh, but she was she was good. She had to we. Uh, we had to remind her not not as as she's holding the she's holding the video camera in her hands we had to remind her not to bounce up and down with the music well you know that would be (laughs) something she was tending tending to do that yeah that would
1: (laughs) i think the average person would yeah especially on that particular piece because it is it does have such a nice snappy kind of feel to it yeah yeah. i mean in, in a in a jazz way and i am not a perfectionist when it comes to words to describe jazz or rock it's just you know snappy or upbeat Mm -hmm. or whatever like that but yeah so let's go back in your your history here how did you get into recording i got into recording
2: uh in high school oh you did yeah and and it was because it was primarily because a lot of my friends were musicians and i had no musical talent whatsoever <laughs> and and was would was absolutely mortified of the above of, of the thought of getting up in front of people and performing anyway even if i had had any talent which i didn't um but a lot of my friends were, were musicians and so i just i just fell into doing doing live sound and and location recording and then uh if that so that was my, my my earliest my earliest live recordings are from uh 1972. Oh. Uh, just working on a little seven-inch reel-to-reel tape recorder, and uh, just a, just a mono mix off of the off of whatever PA system I had available at the time. And uh, and and then as I when I when I when I graduated from high school, then I then I started getting a little more serious, and I bought a, a half-inch eight-track. Real to real, a Tascam, mm-hmm. and uh, and a and a Tascam sort of semi-pro mixer, and uh, started setting up little project studios around town.
1: Now that was just, in, and
2: it just kind of grew from there.
1: Yeah. Now you grew up in what York, Pennsylvania. In York, in York Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now was there a vibrant music scene at that point in time? There
2: was. Yeah, there was all through all through the seventies. There were there were um, uh, in the summertime we had be-ins, right? And we had we had live music in the park four or five times every summer up uh, a whole. I guess not a battle of the bands because there was no competition. Sure. But a, a day, a, a full day of music outdoors, and uh, I was I was almost always involved in those. Not not every single time, but a lot of the time.
1: Now was that mostly rock and roll, or was it a kind of a mixture?
2: Oh, it was a whole mix. Was it? It was a whole mix.
1: Yeah. Many um, classmates of yours, or are they just a
2: lot of a lot of classmates of mine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Now the you have worked at uh, NIST, right? Hmm and how how did how does recording in high school and college transition to nist
2: well it does actually because uh all i i didn't i didn't go straight to college i wanted i wanted to do the the audio engineering stuff and uh i was doing i was doing a lot more live sound then than i was recording uh and i i the more i did that the more i realized that i really needed a, a proper technical education I needed i needed to learn some acoustics i needed to learn some electronics and so i did so i started back as a uh started back to school as a, as an engineering major um and as an undergraduate i decided i, I realized that I, I i liked the science courses a lot more than i liked the engineering courses mm-hmm. and so i switched over to, to physics and i got a I got a bachelor's degree and then a phd in physics and that. That got me into NIST, and I wasn't—I didn't do much. I wasn't doing much sound at that point. I kind of that kind of dropped off the radar, you know, married and young kids and starting a family and all that. Uh, so I didn't get back. I, so I was out of it for quite a while.
1: I didn't realize you were Dr. Doug Smith. Oh yeah, oh Dr. Doug. Yeah, yeah you've, ne- you've never <laughs> never mentioned that so. <laughs> it's a new moniker for, for yeah. those of us who know you just as Doug Smith, yeah, well, Doctor Doug.
2: Maybe, maybe I should call the studio something like Doctor Doug's Music Emporium. Or That's something. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, the everlasting remedy. Yeah, snake oil salesman. Mm. So, what did you do? What what's your what do you do at NIST? And for those people who don't know what NIST stands for,
2: oh, it, it's the National Institute of Standards and Technology. It is the it among other things, it's the nation's National Metrology Institute (NMI), and so we do uh, we we do what we call realizations of all of the fundamental measurement units from the International System of Units, the SI. So the kilogram, the meter, the second, all of the the amp the ampere and the volt, all of those basic measurement units we we have. Uh, we have laboratories and we have instruments for, for generating them at very, very high levels of precision and then, and then disseminating them out to, out to uh, industry and, and anyone else who, you know, who needs a traceable calibration path for anything that they're measuring.
1: Now, do you do testing if someone, uh, I guess, I don't know if testing is the word, but does stuff come into you where you have to decipher it? to see how accurate it is or is it usually outgoing always
2: it's well we we are we provide the fundamental realization of all of those units mm-hmm. but we're not we're nothing like consumer reports we don't okay. we don't evaluate instruments and we don't we don't okay. say this manufacturer's piece of equipment is good and that one is bad gotcha. definitely that's a that's a huge no no but the people who make precise measurement equipment can Back up and confirm their measurements against standards that we provide, or calibration services that we provide.
1: So they they, with the theys of the world, contact NIST to say, you know, we need to test this. Can you send us this? Mm. Is that how that works? So, basically, that some, sometimes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And 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 with the with the with the with the really high end uh test equipment manufacturers they 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 can actually send one of their units to us oh and and, then you calibrate it for them and we will and we will check the calibration on it
1: now do calibrations change over time i would think that once you've established it it's done
2: in, instruments don't. No. <laughs> Instru- instruments are pieces of hardware, <laughs> and they drift. <laughs> yeah. Screws so, and bolts and yeah, the, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They drift, and so the, yes, they do have to be checked.
1: Now, was it a steep learning curve getting into that?
2: Actually, no. Um, I mean, I, I, from from doing all the sound work in the in the in the seventies, I was. I was accustomed to being surrounded by racks full of electronics mm-hmm. and, and when I got to grad school and then to NIST I was still surrounded with racks full of electronics Sure, they were, they were just for different purposes but the but the basics of 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 moving signals around and amplifying them and filtering them and all that all that kind of stuff actually is, is quite common between the two the two vocations
1: Now did the the switch or the transition from analog to digital—did mm-hmm. that affect what you did, work-wise?
2: Uh, oh, work-wise, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, almost almost all data now is grabbed mm-hmm. digitally. You know, you're you're measuring a voltage, right? Uh, for example, and and you're just you're you're just digitizing it in exactly the same way you would digitize a an analog audio signal to record it in a computer. So it's exactly the same sort of technique.
1: I yeah. I read somewhere where they were they were trying to describe or explain why they thought in re, in a recording of music stand, from that standpoint where analog was better because you could get a basically a smooth curve Whereas digital is like little squares.
2: Digital is little squares, but the little squares have gotten really, really little. Really, <laughs> <laughs> they really are indistinguishable. Now okay. you can, you, you, you yeah, you. What, what you're, what you're doing is, is um, you, you have a, you have a continuously varying voltage. Mm-hmm. So that's what comes out of a microphone, um, unless it's a USB mic. But, but all, all traditional microphones give you a, give you an AC voltage an analog AC voltage and all you're doing is when you're when you're digitizing it is that just in very very even time steps you measure what that voltage is and then a fraction of a second later you measure it again and a fraction of a second later you measure it again and the 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 resolution of that so you're turning and you're turning this continuously varying voltage into a, a, a basically a data table so, a, t- a time and a, and a voltage level. and if you do that, if, if you sample fast enough and you sample accurately enough, which is the sample rate and the, and the bit depth, uh, you, you get a, you, you, you get a, a signal that's indistinguishable from the original analog.
1: So here it's but, sh-
2: but it wasn't it wasn't like that in the early days of digital, which is why, which is why there was so much trouble early on. I gotcha. Because you couldn't you couldn't sample very quickly and you couldn't sample very accurately, and then and 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 so what you heard did tend to sound a little grainy. Mm-hmm. You could you you know you could you could definitely hear the difference. Uh, now nowadays sampling rates are, in in professional audio gear, sampling rates are up to 192 kilohertz. So you're taking 192 measurements of the voltage every second. Every second. Every second.
1: Goodness gracious!
2: And and you're measuring at, at tw- with with 24 bit resolution, and that's you're not going to. I was just going to say
1: the human ear won't catch the, on. The,
2: the human ear will hear that as being continuous. So no. long, so long as the converters are good.
1: Yeah. Now here at Shabro Recording Studio, I know you've got some tape machines. I'm looking at one right across from us here. Mm-hmm how often or how seldom does someone request analog taping? Uh,
2: I haven't I haven't had anyone request live recording to tape in a long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, occasionally, what I will do, especially if, if, if it's a, um, if, it, if it's a fairly heavy rock arrangement, I'm thinking now for example, something like Led Zeppelin like mm-hmm. stuff. Sometimes you can you can do things like record digitally and then when you're doing the final mix to stereo, you can you can record to a stereo two track reel to reel tape recorder. And it does have a it has a way of kind of thickening things up and, and gluing the whole arrangement together. I don't I don't think Led Zeppelin would have sounded like Led Zeppelin if they if they had been if, if they had been recording digitally right from the beginning. An awful lot of that sound came from, you know, partial tape saturation and kind kind of slightly overloading things the tape a little bit. And and there are there are plugins that will simulate that nowadays and some of them are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes people just like to see the tape going by on the machine, but but to re, but to record multi-track is is on tape. I mean, I do I do have a, I have a two-inch sixteen-track machine here, um, uh, an old MCI, um, but two-inch tape runs. It's currently three hundred and fifty dollars for a reel. Wow! And the reel runs fifteen minutes. Ooh! So. <laughs> So
1: no Inagata De Vita. You
2: have to really really want it (laughs) to go down that road.
1: (laughs) Now, is that because it's just not produced in quantity anymore?
2: There's not much demand for it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No. no.
1: It's interesting how the, I guess, the indie especially, and even some of the big uh, record companies now, issue so much or reissue and then also new music on LP, Mm -hmm. vinyl. Mm Mm-hmm and it's not recorded analog it's recorded digitally and just put on a vinyl yeah so it's just it is it more the mystique of the the piece of plastic you think i
2: think it's in in most of the time it's just the mystique of vinyl yeah um there are there are some people there there are current artists who who do the entire process analog do they 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 record to multi-track tape. They mix, so that's that's analog. And then they then they run that mix through an analog mixer to an analog two-track machine, and then that two-track reel of tape goes to a go goes to a cutting lathe mm-hmm. that cuts the lacquer master for the record. Just just like in the old days. Yep. Uh, Gillian Welch does mm-hmm. that. Gillian Welch and David Rawlings, um, they do that. Uh, for some of their things. So the, the, there's, a, there's a vinyl issue of, of uh, The Harrow and the Harvest, for mm-hmm. example, very, very good album of hers that, uh, that, that was done that way.
1: Now, are there recording studios that that's what they're known for, I would imagine? Mm. Because of the cost and the. the...
2: Oh, yeah, there, there aren't many places that can do that now. Now, they, they, do, their, they do their entire setup themselves. I
1: think I, either you told me that or I read it somewhere yeah yeah. that's a for artists that's a whole different skill set
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah
1: and i've read articles where some of the musicians who record in their basement say that it becomes difficult trying to push the buttons well it's a mouse really but i still call it push Much. the buttons and then play and have to press the button to you know and then to remember all that stuff mm-hmm. it must be difficult yeah I mean the, I can see um, Sammy J, who you know, the um, I was amazed that her songs were recorded on that Focusrite, the little thing down in her basement. It Mm -hmm. sounded actually very, very good. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I can see doing that type of recording if you're looking for more of a live sound. Um, where you don't want to have multiple instruments, maybe a little percussion, maybe a bass, and that's about it. But for a lot of the... Michelle Swan is a good example. I just received in the mail yesterday her new CD, I Feel. And it was done at, uh, what's his name, Delmar studio down in, in, in Virginia. And it is a fully produced CD. And I cannot imagine an individual musician being able to... Produce that type of sound on a little home recording studio? No, probably. I, probably I think not. that's where you need the the you know the expertise of a real engineer like yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just no way you could bring that and it, not only bring that many people in and record them, but also then mix it. Right.
2: No, I mean ever 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 since the the '60s and the and the Beatles in in particular,
3: mm-hmm.
2: there there's been a big shift. Um, you know, when they when when they first walked into what what's now abbey road studios it wasn't called abbey road then right um uh their their early work were they it was it was just live performances yeah. in the studio they they played the song and the engineer recorded it and you they were done that's how they got through 12 songs in one day on that first yeah. on that first album <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and ending with lennon shredding his vocal cords on twist and shout <laughs> um but but they you know they be, they started experiment and there were, and there were other they get, they got a lot of credit but there but that was going on that was going on in in the US as well it was going on in New York and and California uh, where people rather than in groups rather than performing songs live the the whole industry sort of shifted from performing to assembling a song right? you got a rhythm track down and then you played that back and you started layering some rhythm instruments and you started layering lead instruments and then you started tacking on vocals and it it, you just you just built up layer after layer and it was much more it was much more of a construction than a performance
1: now as an engineer which way do you prefer to record, live or layered or constructed? I, I
2: prefer live. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 clip that we played at the beginning, Ted, mm-hmm. Ted, that that was recorded live in the studio. I think we may we may end up with a with a a, a song of of John Trelazzo, a guy I've worked with for many years, and that was that was recorded live. In in a in a single take. I mean, it wasn't the first take.
1: Oh, Johns is the one yeah, we're going yeah, to listen John, to. Yeah,
2: John Johns is also a, 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 a complete single live take. Wow, of that song.
1: Now, listening to that last night, I thought that was probably tracked. Mm. No, really, huh? Mm.
2: It's only three people, so it was, it was fairly fairly straightforward.
1: I guess so. The um, well, and, and the listeners of the podcast will hear it later, but. It's it's a spoken word piece rather than a singing piece. Mm -hmm. And I find it more difficult to remember the words in their right order when I'm speaking than Mm -hmm. when I'm singing. It's tough enough singing. (laughs) So I was impressed now that you say he did that live.
2: Well, he did it with the lyrics in front of him. Oh, he did, okay. Sorry, John.
1: (laughs) That's okay. You know, I was amazed when I started, when I really got into acoustic music again in the, the early 2000s, And I started reading anything I could read about anybody who I had liked in my past, you know, the Beatles and everybody like that. And I had read an article, or maybe it was a book about Bob Dylan's music, and they showed early photographs of him in the studio with sheets of paper in front of him, which I sort of can understand because his lyrics sometimes went on like 99 lines or 200 or something like that. But, you know, my big thing is, and I was told early on, memorize your stuff. Because if you're doing live, people don't want to see you looking down with a a wall in front of you. They want to have eye contact and be part of the experience. So I tend to try to memorize everything. So I'm amazed, but I do understand that there are performers, and you've probably done this too, where they wrote the song an hour before they came in. They have no clue (laughs) from a memory standpoint, so it's got to be in front of them. It's got to be, yeah. So what... How did you get back into recording because you you said you had family, you had job, um, kids and right. what got you back into it?
2: Oh, I can it it was a very it, it's a very clear event. It when I when I got back into it uh was when the first computer showed up at NIST with that had a CD burner. Ah. Because up until this was around I don't know 1999 maybe 1980. Um, uh, sorry, 2000, 1999, mm-hmm. 2000. Um, and, and uh, because up until then, the CDs were out there. Mm-hmm. But but there was no do it yourself way to, to, to manufacture a CD. You, the, the, the process was was complicated and expensive. And only the big manufacturing houses could do it you couldn't there was no do-it-yourself mm-hmm. way of, of making a CD and so if you didn't have a major release where you were going to be you know where you're going to be pressing at least a hundred thousand copies or something you, you couldn't afford to do it right um, and when I when I saw the first writable burnable CD the first CDR technology come online I said eh, maybe it's time for me to Get back into this. <laughs> so I, so I at first I bought a I bought a, a a nice little two-channel interface card that plugged into my computer. It was an, it was an M audio, um, an audio file 96 or whatever, just a, a something that plugs straight into a desktop computer motherboard. Had two ins and two outs, um, but good converters, and um, and I. Got back, I, I started going through my collection of reel-to-reel tapes, which I'd been lugging around for 25 or 30 <laughs> years, <laughs> and uh, and I started playing. I still I still had I still had working reel-to-reel recorders. I had saved I had sold a lot of gear, but I had saved some key things, and uh, I, I started playing my old tapes into the computer and and you know got a got a very inexpensive program it was it was a very early free version of pro tools and uh i I just started transferring my library of of tape of old recordings into the computer and that that's so you could make cds so i could make cds yeah yeah
1: now did you Set up a recording studio at that point in time, or were you, were you doing pretty much live sound when you got into the actual workings of it?
2: I I started recording in in, in my house a little bit, mm-hmm. um, pro- probably. So that was that was two thousand. Probably by 2005, I had I had uh, well first I had gone from two inputs. I added I added another interface, so now I was I added an eight by eight eight input eight output interface, and so now I was up to ten parallel inputs. And I and I was starting to buy a few a few microphones here and there, mm-hmm. and uh, and and recording. Stuff a little in my house, but I was I, I kept the rig portable so that I could I could record up to up to ten parallel inputs at, at concerts, which isn't enough to do a, a rock band, but it's enough to do a folk group mm-hmm. pretty well.
1: Now, how did you get your clients at that point in time? Was it just word of mouth? Someone said, "Oh, I have a brother-in-law who's got a duo, or something like that." Or yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I and I worked a lot with my longtime friend.
2: John Trelazzo, sure, who had had an active band at the time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and still does, and always has.
1: Yeah. Now, does he perform live? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've I've only he's, met he's him a few times, and
2: he's he's he's, he's played and he hasn't played in Frederick recently. He's he's based in York, PA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, there was a period of time when he when he played here down here in Frederick. He played when uh, oh Chris, Chris and Deb. Bransome? brands oh i
1: can't remember they
2: had the blue elephant
1: Yep. yeah yes chris yes yes
2: he played he played at the blue elephant a few times Mm -hmm. he played at um uh, he played at frederick coffee company Mm -hmm. a couple of
1: times Yep. but
2: not not recently
1: yeah now what got you to open Shabro recording studio
2: i decided i was ready to make that investment i i was I, I had been trying to work out of my house it wasn't wasn't working mm-hmm. very well
3: uh,
2: and uh, uh i worked out a way to to, to finance the purchase of a building mm-hmm. at first at first i was just looking to lease um but this was this was 2010. Mm-hmm and real estate prices were
1: yep you could buy for a song
2: you could buy for a song <laughs> and and there no pun intended and I, that. And, yeah. and I and i i saw i saw the building that we're in now uh, and it wasn't advertised for sale it was advertised for lease um, but i didn't want to i didn't want to pay rent i wanted to make an investment and uh, uh, so i said well do you want to sell it instead of leasing it yeah, so I, um, I I heard a number, and I offered less than that number, mm-hmm. and and it was accepted. Good. And so it, so and, and it's paid off now. So I, I I own I own the property free and clear now and uh so now it's just overhead just taxes and (laughs) property taxes and insurance and utilities but 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 there's no mortgage on it anymore
1: (laughs) well what's interesting for those of you listening who've never been into chavro recording studio the physical room is in many studios that i've been in the control room is completely blocked off with a wall with maybe a small window or several windows from the actual recording space and you have more of an open concept Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, this, this is this is called clubhouse style.
1: Clubhouse style. Yeah. Now yeah. was that a conscious decision on your part, or was it because, gosh, I don't want to be secluded from the room?
2: It's it's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. The um, the 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 control room is about fifteen by twenty feet. I'm guessing mm-hmm. twenty fifteen by twenty five, maybe. Um, and it's just it, it's better for it's better for the acoustics to. to to I think to keep the whole space open mm-hmm. uh and yeah and yeah I don't like I don't like talking over talkback mics and looking at people through glass um it it has it has some drawbacks you have to you have to everybody has to be wearing headphones right as you're recording including me mm-hmm. as the engineer it's the only way I can hear what's going on I can't I can't have the monitor speakers in the control room blasting away mm-hmm. um so that's that's the downside but but the upside is just it's very it's just very comfortable well, it is yeah. very comfortable, yeah I mean it, 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 people people feel like they're recording in their living room just mm-hmm. with, with much better gear <laughs> than well, most people have in their living room and yeah. you've
1: got uh, multiple rugs in there, partly mm-hmm. I'm sure to absorb the, some of the sound, but also um because it's concrete floor yeah, it's
2: cement slab, yeah, yeah, the so, whole building is just cement slab yeah, floor
1: nice or underfoot yeah. <laughs> Now, who are or what are some of the types of performers you've recorded here since you've had this? Uh, is it mostly oh, rock is it mostly jazz is it mostly what i would call acoustic kind of folky pop or whatever it,
2: it well cer- certainly uh, certainly a lot of there, you know you, i don't have to tell you yeah. that frederick <laughs> has a lot of singer songwriters around that is true <laughs> and so i have i have recorded a lot of singer songwriters and some some of them very simple uh i'm sure you remember josh gray oh, of course for yeah. example just just acoustic guitar and vocal live um live in in complete takes absolutely no processing he was josh was fanatical. no reverb really no, no special effects just dry just absolutely 100 percent dry
1: now was that because he was well it's not even really reproducing a live sound because so many of us in live add a little enhancement with reverb. Sure. That's just his his what he wanted.
2: That's just what he wanted. And and of course, if, if you remember back to the Ted Jenkins yes. clip that we opened with, I mean, the, the, the tracking room is here is acoustically is pretty, pretty dry, yeah. pretty, pretty dead. And so all of the all the ambient reverberation that's on that recording is, is was added yeah. later in mixing. And and most most people want at least a little of that if now if the, if the if the room were huge and had mm-hmm. and had a lot of nice natural ambiance then you wouldn't i wouldn't need to add so much but in order to be able to do someone like like Ted Jenkins or any time that i've got you know a full drum kit and other things going and it, it it's a reasonably small space with mm-hmm. as you've noticed no 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 walls or windows or barriers other than the little movable gobos um it, it i have to keep it i have to keep it the room pretty dry
1: now have besides uh, ted and his group of cohorts and i i understand from chatting with him that he prefers blues but he plays a lot of jazz
2: yes well I, mo- most of his, most of his compositions that i'm aware of i would say are more or more blues or more, more jazz they're they're sort of they're they're, they're a mix yeah. they're, they're a blend
1: did ha- have you done other jazz musicians besides himself or his his oh, group uh, of oh, yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, Will Lopez, the right. other the other engineer here, is, is uh, the, the young engineer. When by the way, when he's here, the, the place is called Dimaxion. So, oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, he calls it di- his 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 his. his um, uh company production mm-hmm. company is what was called dimaxion but it's the, it's the same physical space it's sure. the same equipment and, and 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 will has a very solid jazz background Does he's, he he's sax he's saxophone and 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 jazz bass uh i mean he's versatile he can he can play all sorts of things but but he's 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 worked on a number of what i would call jazz product projects here
0: mm-hmm.
1: Now I know, and we're not going to be able to play a cut from it. But you have a, a woman by the name of Astrid who did some recording, and she's a harp harpist, she's, right? She's a
2: harpist. Yes, she's 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 here in Frederick. Uh, she and her husband Will have, uh, I think, they're called the Frederick. Hang on a sec. Where did I put all my CDs? Here we go. Hang on. Yep.
1: Yeah. Doug is walking across the room, so he's he's. You can hear him in the background. He's looking for CDs. So. This is what I love about uh, what I what I call uh, live recording. Yes, you know it's it's, it's reality.
2: Okay. I just I just want to make sure I get the name right. They are uh, they are the Frederick String Initiative, ah. and and Astrid Astrid teaches harp, and she also performs. Uh, for weddings and Mm -hmm. and lots of lots of other things uh she has she's she's brought several different harps in here she she brings her harp to the studio Um, her husband teaches strings also i think primarily violin and there are actually a a couple of cuts on the on the album that she did here she didn't she did an album of of 11 original compositions and uh, and her husband accompanied her on violin on some of them and he was playing a violin that he made himself oh wow and it sounded beautiful so they're 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 a talented they're a talented couple uh, absolutely
1: now for the audiophiles listening the for those of you who've listened to the podcast before the microphone that i'm using right at the moment is a Shure beta 58 mm-hmm. the my first two or three or four Podcast. We're using the Beta 58, and then I I received a Rode pod mic, which I've been using for the last I don't know half of the the podcasts here in the studio because Doug owns the recording studio. He has lots of mics to choose from. What is the <laughs> microphone you're using?
2: I'm I'm using a, an Electro Voice RE20. Um, if 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 your uh, if your listeners could see it. They will many people will recognize it because it gets used for lots and lots of voiceover work it, for 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 uh, um, voice in radio mm-hmm. uh, you'll you'll see it a lot of times on or usually
1: on a on boomstands for
2: right. radio, if you see if you see video from radio talk shows or things it's it's a very common v- voiceover mic
1: I miss in the morning used them mm-hmm. yeah. yep. now what is the difference between electro voice in the shore what is it the smb7 or something what's
2: That's a sm7b yes they're they're very similar they're very similar they're very similar they're both they're both large diaphragm dynamics they both have they both have some they're both they're both designed to have a reduced proximity effect mm-hmm. so when you get up with with most cardioid microphones when you get up close to them you get a huge bass boost
1: yeah like right and, like right yeah, here yeah. there we go and,
2: and so if you're like I'm I'm moving back and forth now in in front of the mic a bit um, and and the electro voice the the re the re20 has a, a lot of, of sort of fairly complicated rear ports to it mm-hmm. that, that allows sound to come into the back side of the diaphragm and it, it tends to to negate some of that proximity effect. So the tone the tone of your voice doesn't vary as dramatically as you get closer or farther away. It's just, it just makes for a more even tone to your voice.
1: Well I was quite surprised when we started this podcast because you would lean back so you were now Two and a half to three feet away, and the sound, other than the level dropped a little bit, yeah. the quality was very still very good.
2: Yeah. Well, I but but I, I'm doing some other things too. Oh, you are okay. <laughs> I'm going the the, the 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 re20 is going into a nice um, transformer coupled pre okay. preamp uh it's a it's a it's the warm audio clone of a neve 1073 I getcha. and from there it's going into it's going into an empirical labs distressor which is a, so which, you're cheating which is which is a which is a high-end <laughs> high sort of swiss army knife compressor so so i, I so there's a, there's a hardware compressor in the chain as well that's keeping things evened out that's what gotcha check check check
1: there you go yep and I have my, my little view meter over here, but uh, I have a much simpler setup than you do. <laughs> now, speaking of microphones, one of the things you told me years ago when I first, I think the first time I came into your studio, and I love coming into the studio. As you know, I'm very sporadic in my attendance. <laughs> yep. Uh, partly because the I'm scared. I love studio work, but I'm scared to death of it. So it, for me, it's, it takes a lot for me to get in and what ends up happening, as you know, we sit and do some live things, and you don't see me for another year. Yep. <laughs> so I've never been able to really get a full complement of of recordings. But the uh, but you told me that you have a lot of or quite a few vintage microphones that you've rebuilt or how do you however you put it not necessarily rebuilt but
2: well I've I've never I, I've never done a a, a, a really detailed restoration mm-hmm. um, I haven't had to but. But yeah i do have i do have microphones that i that i bought in the 70s mm-hmm. uh and most most people don't won't know them um they're they're not they're not the the, the famous brands like like the vintage neumanns mm-hmm. for example that when you can when you can find you know you find a, a vintage neumann u47 or m49 or something if it's in decent condition you've you can expect to pay well over ten thousand dollars for it wow even though it was made in the 50s or the 60s and 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 they're worth it they're worth it but uh i was i was lucky enough in the mid 70s to buy a really good pair of of condenser microphones very inexpensively i I paid i paid three hundred dollars for the pair Wow. And they they're now when you can when you can find them they they they, they go for four or five thousand dollars each minimum um because they because of their because of their heritage they were they've been used on they they were um they 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 were one of frank sinatra's favorite vocal mics so they got used for by everyone from frank sinatra to to bob dylan to Jimi hendrix jim hendrix's studio vocals often were recorded on on this on these mics and what what brand are they what are they it's a sony to sony? it's a sony it's a it's a sony's they're 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 sony c37a's and uh they were at that they they were made i don't know when they went out of production the pair that i have was made in the was made in 1966 and as i said I, I bought them about 10 years later obviously used um but they have been they still have the original Japanese vacuum tubes in them. Do they really? They're vacuum tube condenser. They have a little vacuum tube in the body of the mic, and they still have the original Japanese vacuum tubes.
1: <laughs> so they they weren't well. And, and I know and, you and, would not have abused them. But in the ten years from the time they were manufactured until you acquired them, they weren't abused because no, a condenser mic you do have to take a little more care with.
2: You do. Uh, I don't. I don't know the full history. Uh, but I, but I bought them from a guy named Mike Spitz, who I, who I knew in York. Mm-hmm. He and I were the same age, were the same age, and and he and I did some engineering together. You know, set, uh, setting up little project studios and things. And Mike went on to 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 um, to, to, to um, uh, establish ATR. Services and ATR Magnetics, huh. which is the which yeah. is the only U.S. manufacturer of reel-to-reel tape. Wow! And they're in York. Yeah, uh, they're, 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 their their whole manufacturing facility for that tape is in York. And um, Mike Mike has since passed away. His but his 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 widow Betty continues to operate the business.
1: Well, I would imagine if they're the only U.S. producer of it, not that it's a huge business, but those who use that tape they're a godsend to them yes so the business will carry on
2: the business will I think will carry on
1: yeah Now I think I think you have used one of those or maybe both of those Sony mics because we did that mic test the one time
2: we we set up yes one of the times that you were in here I I we Sat you down on a chair, and I probably put close to ten microphones around you. I think it was eleven. <laughs> eleven, okay, yeah. and, and yes, it, it, the, the Sony's were in there in, yep. the, in the mix, along with lots of others.
1: If I recall, don't they have a very smooth sound?
2: They're very smooth. Yeah, yeah. they have a they they have a high end that sounds a lot more like a ribbon mic mm-hmm. than a condenser.
1: Well, what's the difference for those of you listening, or you know, even myself? What is the difference between a ribbon mic and because to me ribbon is flimsy it's it, made out of either cloth or cell you know cell plastic. What is the difference between a condenser mic or a condenser dynamic and then a ribbon mic? what is a ribbon mic
2: a ribbon a ribbon mic uses a um uh it, it the the ribbon itself is almost always aluminum, but it's very very thin okay it's much thinner than Store-bought aluminum foil.
1: Okay, it is really. Oh yeah, wow.
2: Yeah, I can. Won't help the podcast, but I can. I can. I. I have. I have ribbon stock, and I. And I have not had to replace ribbons and microphones from time to time, so I do. I can do that. Um, but it. It is. It. It. It is so light. And it, it, you know, as as with the, as with the dynamic microphone, and, and lots of other electromagnetic devices, if you if you move an electric conductor mm-hmm. in a magnetic field, you can generate a current. And so the and so the ribbon is so light and and loose that it just it it just it just moves with the air pressure. Huh. Back and forth, and and the 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 thing that really makes their sound distinct is mo- most microphones have some sort of fairly rigid diaphragm that with with a, with, with a, either a coil or 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 a, a, a voltage bias on a plate as, mm-hmm. as a condenser condensers. The the british term for capacitor oh, okay so, so it's a it's a varying capacitance or you put a you put a coil in a magnetic field and the sound moves the diaphragm the diaphragm moves the coil mm-hmm. and you get a signal uh exact almost exactly the reverse of a loudspeaker okay where you yeah. in, with a loud, loudspeaker you just turn it around and you run the current through the coil the diaphragm moves back and forth the, and then the diaphragm moves the cone of the speaker Um, but with any of those, whether, whether it's condenser or, or dynamic, the, the diaphragm itself is rigid. And, you know, if you, if you study, if you study wave equations, you know, wave theory at Mm -hmm. all, you you know, any, any sort of rigid diaphragm, it has all kinds of mechanical resonances, right? It's not, it's not impartial. About how it reacts to different frequencies, um, it, it has a whole set of resonances of its own, and oftentimes, the, the, with, because of the dimensions, the, those resonances turn out to be in the in the upper mid range of the audio frequencies, and so manufacturers either can use that effect or they can try to negate the effect, but it's a very complicated acousto mechanical mm-hmm. interaction that's going on. Um your your SM fifty eight that mm-hmm. you're talking into yep. has a has a high has a has a frequency response that is really jagged in in that upper mid-range and that
1: that's, do i sound jagged that
2: that's, that's what <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that's they 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 have shaped that in a way that is flattering for a lot of vocals okay and and dynamics are also pretty pretty indestructible for live use stage use um the ribbon is so light and it's it and it's very loose you usually they're corrugated
1: Oh so they, they are they
2: have a they have a they're a, they're a long narrow strip, but the narrow strip has has corrugations to it. and and it it the ribbon will have a does have a mechanical resonance, but it's down at half a hertz or or one hertz. it's it's way subsonic. Wow, it's way below any any audio frequency that you would want to capture. and all the all the other, and that's it. It, ha- it has it has no other resonances in the in the audio range at all.
1: So how does it produce sound?
2: Well, you don't want it to resonate.
1: <laughs> well, I suppose not.
2: Yeah. The re- reson- re- resonances are bad in well, this case. It, you, it, you, you, it, it, yeah. it, it 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 just moves with the air pressure. It, it, it literally, almost literally, floats in the breeze, and so you know whatever whatever sound source you put it in front of that's giving that's giving you varying air pressure mm-hmm. and the air pressure just moves the ribbon back and forth a little bit in that magnetic field and that that gives you your signal
1: so in a ribbon mic if you're facing just say you're using a ribbon mic for vocals mm-hmm. is the flat portion of the ribbon facing mm-hmm. yeah. the, it's not the edge okay no it's the flat portion okay
2: right and in fact, in, in fact, if you if you are off, lined up with the edge, uh-huh. at say at, at ninety degrees, the, the 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 ribbon mic is is totally insensitive. Is it really? Because because the pressure is 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 yeah. is, is, is pr- the the air pressure changes are hitting both sides of the ribbon equally.
1: Gotcha.
2: So it doesn't move. Huh. And so the you know we, we,
1: people people
2: like to talk about cardioid and yes. hypercardioid mm-hmm. patterns on on microphones. The a a, a a true natural ribbon that hasn't been modified mm-hmm. with an enclosure or, or special enclosure or anything is a, is called a figure eight okay and so it's
1: both sides it's
2: both it's both sides but it's absolutely literally zero at 90 degrees it will it picks up absolutely nothing
1: so and, if you have a quartet singing into the same mic you're only hearing two voices that's right for the most part for the most part yeah
2: and and, and that and that 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 used to get used in a lot mm-hmm. taken advantage of we were talking about Abbey road studios mm-hmm. and, and the beatles um when they when they in the early days of their overdubbing, when they started doing multi-track stuff on, a, on the four-track Studer's machines that they had there, they didn't have headphones. The studio didn't have headphones until, I don't know, 65 or 66. They, they the, 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 standard, the standard method for, for overdubbing a vocal, if you, if you already had the instrumental track recorded, uh-huh. was you actually, you had to play the instrumental back out of a loudspeaker in this in the studio not not all that far from the microphone which um, could create problems which could create problems but but Abbey. now they uh, they did not usually use ribbon mics but but there is a way of making large diaphragm condenser mics that do exactly the same thing they have two diaphragms
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and you can combine the signal from the two diaphragms in such a way that they Com- will completely cancel out stuff at 90 degrees. So you'd have, you know, John Lennon or Paul McCartney would be would be singing into one side of 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 this figure eight pickup pattern microphone and the speaker that he's listening to providing the music that he has to sing along to is it, it's coming out of a speaker at 90 degrees to the microphone
1: yeah to eliminate any to, bleed mm-hmm. or to lessen mm-hmm. the bleed lessen
2: the bleed yeah i mean yeah, yeah it goes off into the room and it bounces off walls you know and you'd have to be in, in an anechoic chamber for
3: right. to really get
2: <laughs> to really get zero at 90 degrees but but it was a, that was a big that was a big space and, well, it, and it worked
1: fine it worked great as a beatles fan and i'm more of a beatles fan of the early beatles i'm not so much you know the white album stuff yeah there's some good songs on it but i love the early stuff Mm -hmm. which what you said would they they probably recorded it live or close to until Close, close to until martin got in there is the they recorded the 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 music that made them famous which is played so much in a studio that was incredibly simpler than your studio
2: in terms of equipment yeah yeah yeah
1: and yet they were able to come up with with great sound
2: well they had they had excellent engineers
1: well that's what i was leading towards yeah yeah
2: yeah. no the 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 equipment the equipment was was um would be considered primitive by today's standards but what they did have was always absolute top quality Mm -hmm. you know they had they had a whole crew of technicians in white lab coats Mm -hmm. um the, the the Beatles got quite frustrated in the in the in the let's say nineteen sixty seven, early nineteen sixty eight, because all of their buddies in the U.S. were had the, had these eight track machines, uh, Ampex,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, particularly in L.A. and uh, and 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 at Abbey Road they were still forcing them to work with four track studers. And now the four track studers are absolute top of the line you know Rolls Royce reel to reels, but they would have to they would have to record four tracks worth of stuff, mix it down to mono, record it on one track of another four track machine, and then start adding. So they were you know they were going through several generations of tape. Meaning you record to one machine, you play it back off of that machine, you record that onto a second machine, you add more tracks, and uh, and their and their buddies in the U S had eight track. <laughs> well, long before Abbey Road, um, but they had bought an eight. They had bought one of these machines, and they had given. And it was there, and they had given it to their lab guys. And the clap guys didn't like the specs on it, and they wouldn't—they wouldn't let them use it really? until they had fixed it. <laughs> and until so, they and, had and they contacted get, Ge- Dr. Doug
1: Ge- at NIST to get calibration. E-
2: yeah, George, George Harrison had an eight-track in his house before Abbey Road had an eight-track wow. machine going in the studio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know the the things we learn in today's world about the. What what I kind of look at is the golden age of, of, of well, the whole Beatles, Rolling Stones, that whole kind of 60s to early 1970s period. The more I read about it, it's amazing that they were able to come up with such good sound yeah. compared to what's today. But you mentioned, you know, it's the quality of the engineers they had. And what I have noticed is it, it seems like not so much in the last three months because of the coronavirus and and not being able to get out and all the social distancing and so forth. But it just seems like in the last two or three years, there's been a huge increase in the number of recording studios. So many people buying the equipment, putting it in their basement or they convert a garage or whatever it is, which is all well and good. But like you said, the equipment is only as good as the person who's running the equipment. And i that's the one thing that uh, when you did the, a workshop for fame mm-hmm. and you did two or three of them mm-hmm. i was a, both you and jeff fight have done them jeff mm-hmm. fight from from Torch, torchlight torchlight recording studio who's also a very good engineer good friend of mine but i was it was interesting to attend his workshop and then attend mm-hmm. yours because it's not that you look at things differently that's not really but but the way because you're much more of a scientific detail kind of guy.
2: Yeah, just you know just by nature. Yeah, and it's
1: so interesting that you know because you are 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 one, as Jeff is, where you both have taken the time or before you purchase the equipment, you figured out how to use it. So that the implementing it in the actual recording situation probably you're getting a better result out of it than the person who has just started his recording studio in the basement buys it because it has all these marketing things. Oh, it's gonna do this for you, this for the <laughs> It's like me with a, a new pedal, and I don't buy many pedals. And I purchased one recently and it's a doubler, really, for guitar. It's called a mimic, mm-hmm. T C Electronics has it. And I purchased I used it on the weekend. And other than the fact that halfway through the performance it, seemed to stop working and i'm not sure if the battery <laughs> ran out because it was supposedly a new battery but it was a new old battery so right <laughs> the um and it's simple stupid you press the button and but it didn't i'm not good at that you would have looked at it and said oh you need to do this 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 now let's do it oh that sounds 100 percent better it's like with compression mm-hmm. when i first got my bose tone match mm-hmm. and the um And I had to ask you, how do I do this? And you were very helpful. And I remember at one of the Sunday songwriter showcases, you had been listening and I started the next person. I walked over and you said, good compression. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it made me feel good because all I did was follow what you had instructed me to do.
2: That must have been why it was good. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: (laughs) So now your future here mm-hmm. is going to change somewhat.
2: Little bit, little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, we uh, of course we we were talking about it just before we started recording, but but uh, yeah, I'm I'm moving I'm moving back to York. It's my it's my old hometown, but it's only it's only a 75 minute drive. I go back and forth all the time. Sure. So I I plan to continue to 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 own the building and mm-hmm. and operate the business and and um, and will lopez was doing a lot of work here before we had to shut down and we're you know we're slow we're slowly and carefully opening back up again um but he was he was going great guns before the quarantine and Mm -hmm. and i'm sure he'll get he'll get back into that so he'll he will probably be the 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 primary engineer here Mm -hmm. and i'll just i'll just sit back and manage
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you will still record i understand you're not necessarily going to take on new clients
2: i I probably won't take no unless it's a special situation any 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 Mm any uh uh former clients who want to come back in Mm -hmm. that's great uh but i'm not i'm not actively looking for new clients these days
1: now you're also going to set up a small studio in new york eventually um,
2: oh, oh right away yeah right away that that was my that that was my single biggest criterion when I was house hunting was it has to have a really large really dry basement. Okay. <laughs> and, dry? And, and and I got it. I got it. And we won't
1: we won't let people who are listening know what we why we emphasize dry. Dry. <laughs> that is that is a conversation for a different time but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good story.
2: Yeah, it's a good story. There's some history there. That was that
1: was quite the evening. But anyway. So you've got all this equipment here Mm -hmm. and this recording desk I guess is isn't that what they're called what do you call these
2: yeah a a desk
1: the um, because I know it was only what a year and a half ago that you put this in or two years maybe Uh, it might be closer to three now is it really that long it's
2: an yeah it's an it's an Argosy I I didn't I didn't build it I bought it I built I built a oh, good bit of the other the other equipment and racks and things, but yeah. no this this I bought and now this this will stay. Um, most of the good mics will stay here. Mm-hmm. There there are some that will doesn't you know doesn't use much. Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll need to get a few good mic preamps and uh, I'll I'll take some of the some of the mics and but it it'll be a simple setup. In terms of computers, I've got I've got multiple computers now and I've got multiple interfaces.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've got. I've got 24 by 24 inputs by 24 outputs in M Audio hardware. I've got 24 by 24 in Presonus. I've got 24 by 24 in Universal Audio mm-hmm. Apollo X series. So uh, it's will not be hard for me to set up a parallel, you know, a, a parallel setup. Now, up in, up in York.
1: Now, from a computer standpoint, mm-hmm. are you a Mac user or a PC user? No, PC. Yeah, always now why pc not mac or is it just what you started with so it's easier to transition
2: it's what i started with and and i i I build my own oh you do i mean i don't build Motherboards, (laughs) Motherboards,
3: <laughs> no. But, but, but you no, assemble everything.
2: I, I, yeah. If if I if, I, if it, when it comes time for me to upgrade, I, I I pick out. I hand pick all the components and assemble them myself. So I pick the I pick the motherboard. I pick the video card. I obviously I pick the audio interfaces.
1: And, so Best and, Buy doesn't like you. No. <laughs> Newegg. I, I, I highly
2: recommend a, a mail order company called New Egg.
1: <laughs> now is that did you. You know how to do that because if you work at NIST, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah.
2: primarily. Yeah, I've been I've been confu- con I've I've been uh, um, uh, connecting hardware to computers since grad school.
1: So I would equate you as a studio engineer, then as an artisan guitar builder who can build a guitar to the specs of the person who comes in. Because so many guitar builders, if the form if it doesn't match the form they use, they don't build it. Mm-hmm. Whereas your you can customize something to whatever your need is, mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a studio where they're buying off the off the shelf. Well, it's not off the shelf anymore; it's really online and so forth. But so you can you can if you have a specific need, you can make that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> saves money too
2: Save, well, well, well that, that that's also part of the reason why i, I i've I've always been a windows guy is because i've never been never been fond of paying double for everything that it's worth <laughs> which, which is what you do if you're a mac person well that is true they've
1: they <laughs> you know you don't want to say they have you over a barrel but they yes. have
2: you over a barrel and their and their and their operating system is is much harder to it's much harder to get under the hood and 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 fix the the, the machine level issues they well, they don't they don't want their users to, to do that stuff and they make it as hard as they possibly can sort of
1: like the new cars when you you <laughs> you can't even locate the uh, the dipstick to to check the oil anymore there's just so much stuff in there you have to go to the dealership yeah.
2: have have you, have you ever tried to jump start a hybrid
1: car <laughs> no <laughs> I think I, you park I, it on, I, in a big field I, away from for the thunderstorm, don't you? I,
2: I, I left the I, le- I left the driver's door ajar on my on my Prius a few months ago, and the you know the overhead light ran the battery down, and it's it's not trivial to jumpstart a, a hybrid. <laughs>
1: Well, what do you have to do? I'm curious now that you mentioned it.
2: Well, I had to read the manual <laughs> because there's no there's no there's no conventional nine volt 12 uh, twelve twelve volt lead acid battery under the hood. That's
1: right. You can't just you, connect, connect the cables and no, tell the fellow yeah, to race there, the engine. There's <laughs> no
2: obvious place to hook up the jumper cables.
1: <laughs> Gosh, there is a place, but it's not obvious. Some of the things they don't tell you in the marketing, right? Yeah. The other one is, what do you do when the batteries have lived their life? You either
2: shell out big bucks, or you
1: sell the car uh, you to somebody. Sell who, the
2: car to somebody who's willing to deal with the problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, what are some of the favorite moments for you as a recording engineer? If you could come up with two or three, and I know I'm catching you right at the spur of the second. But. Oh
2: boy! Well, well, it is. My my favorite moments are are when I have a a, a band essentially playing live in the studio. Mm-hmm. They just they you know they set up. We get we you know we might we might not do the vocals live, but you know to to have a, to have a good band in here playing live and just and just grab it as a live performance. That's mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing to do. And um, it, it, it can it can be just a couple people. It can be a full band.
1: it doesn't, doesn't matter. Of all the people who you have presided over, I guess it would be a word. Mm-hmm. Who's your absolute favorite? And one, well, mm. it's a two-part question. Favorite to have in the studio because they're easy to work with or whatever. Yeah. And two, the music they produce that you really like. So it's a two-part question. Can be two completely separate Could be two people.
2: Two different Well, i I would I would say Ted Jenkins. Yeah, he's he um he always comes in with he always brings in really good people. Yeah, they he ha- they haven't necessarily been playing with him regularly. I mean, as I said, the the the, the take that we started the, started off the the, the show with. Um, uh, I don't think that specific group of five people had ever played together before. Mm-hmm. They had all played with Ted yep. many times, but I don't. I'm. i It wouldn't surprise me if that particular collection of five people had never never played in the
1: studio before together. But they're just good enough musicians they can jump right in. He always
2: always comes in with with great musicians Mm -hmm. and gets great results and it's it's always a lot of fun because they're also always great people.
1: Yeah. Now in your studio that you're going to have in York, Mm -hmm. is it a large enough space to do live bands or is it more going to be duos trios maybe mostly soloists?
2: i'll have to see how it goes yeah i don't i don't think that i'll be able to do a a, a full band with a full drum kit there anytime soon yeah,
1: just space I'll doesn't allow it.
2: it space doesn't allow it and all my all my best gear is going to stay here in Frederick. Yeah. So I'll be a little limited in terms of number of microphones and stands and cables and you know a full band in here, um, it, it it can easily run to to eighteen or twenty parallel inputs mm-hmm. coming in simultaneously, eight or ten on the drums and then lots of other stuff.
3: Yeah.
2: So you, you need a you need a you need a hefty rack full of gear to do that and i'm I'm not planning to have anything like that
1: so for someone listening who would like to record with the understanding that they may not be able to get you personally Mm -hmm. unless maybe it's a personal referral from, from one of your current clients but might want to come in and use the space through will or yourself or up in um in york once you get up and running up there how does someone find you what do you have a website
2: uh I do it's it's incredibly out of date. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably 8 years old
1: <laughs> like most of ours. <laughs> yeah.
2: So no there there is a website that says chabrorecording.com recording.com and there and there is a there is a way there to, to, to send me an email um, but but don't judge the studio by the the photos that you see on the right. website because it doesn't look anything like that anymore and 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 Will Lopez is he he, he has a he has a very nice very up to date website which I which I think is Dymaxion.com or maybe Dymaxionrecording.com.
1: Mm-hmm. Or or someone, those of you listening, who might want to speak with Doug, he's incredibly well-versed in recording, as you can tell from our discussion here. You can always contact me directly, and I can put you in contact with Doug. And I, I don't think you would mind if someone contacted you, to some, if they just had a question from an engineering standpoint. Oh, sure. Yeah, um,
2: yeah I do that all the time.
1: Yeah, because I've found you to, you're one of my favorite people to sit and chat with, mm-hmm. always have been. <laughs> in you. fact, when I the rare times I do come into the studio, I find myself almost wishing I didn't have to go sit in a chair and play because I'm enjoying your conversation <laughs> so much. And you have, uh, you were talking about Gillian, Gillian Welch mm-hmm. and um, you turned me on to that um, recording. I think you lent me their CD or I think you told me maybe the link to the YouTube. And then what was it? The traveling Wilburys. Mm-hmm. You lent me that DVD. That was I knew so little about them. Yeah, yeah. And it was a yeah, that, really-
2: that's, that's a great little documentary.
1: It is wonderful. And then the tie-in for me was when I interviewed Ken DeMith 10 days ago and his mom was a hairdresser in Nashville and her and Roy Orbison's mm-hmm. wife were good friends. So Roy Orbison used to go over to Ken's house for Christmas and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you put me in that direction and Ken kind of brought it all the way back when it was a lot of fun, so. Great. Well, this has been wonderful. We're running a little bit longer than I normally run, but what ends up happening is I keep watching the clock thinking, okay, I have to come up with another question because we have some time. Then all of a sudden I look down and go, Uh-oh. oh, gosh, <laughs> we're way over time.
2: <laughs> well, it's, it's been great, though.
1: It has been wonderful to see you in person again. Yeah. And I am so... At, ha-
2: at, at, a, at, a, at a, social, a safe social distance. That
1: is correct. <laughs> we have to remind people that's what we're doing. Yep. And hopefully sometime soon we can get rid of the face masks and everything like that. But we do want to emphasize that until that time, we all need to be conscious of, of making sure that we stay safe, so the future for our kids and grandkids is, is good. But absolutely, the, now we're going to be leaving the show with John. Is it Trelazo or Trulazo? Ter, ter, terla, Trulazo. Yeah. And what's the cut? I, I think it's called "Bought This Shirt in Paris." I
2: bought this shirt in Paris. That was that was that's from his most recent. Full-length CD that was recorded here, and uh, it was it was it was recorded live
0: mm-hmm. in
2: in in one take. It, was, it it is one continuous live take. Not the not the first take. I think it was the fourth take, um,
1: which is actually very good. That's yeah. You know. I mean, when I used to do my dining out television show, some of the intros that we would do, especially if the because we always did the intro to the show after we produce the show Mm -hmm. and many of the chefs would come out or the owner of the restaurant and they'd have a glass of wine well we would tape the show in the middle of the day (laughs) and then i would have to go out and do the intro and i we did i think for mealy's restaurant the last time we did that jose who was the owner kept plying us with wine and i think it took me 74 takes to get through that intro <laughs> because i was giddy you know right. that's what happens but. Right.
2: well this is that so so this is is john Trelazzo and and voices in the hall uh that they've gone through he, he's gone through many in, incarnations of a band called voices in the hall uh but the current lineup uh, which is been the case for three at least three or four years now maybe a little more is is john's the john's the songwriter usually lead singer um guitarist and then christina machusik on on vocals and flute and some other instrumentation and then paul wegman is the is the, the 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 lead guitar player and that's what, that, that, and they, and they're, they're, I mean, they're they're on hiatus now because of the situation, right. but they're they'll, they'll be they'll be out and playing again fairly soon.
1: And for those of you listening, this cut that we're going to listen to is spoken word. He does sing though. He does, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, usually, yeah, usually. So thank you so much, Doctor Doug Smith. No, thank you for sitting down with me, <laughs> and I'm so pleased that you are the first person in our phase two or three getting back to normal yeah. that I was able to interview next week. I'm interviewing, um, the arts, Sam and uh, Catherine, of course, yes. you know, yes. you know, you and I have been familiar and done a lot of work with fame. And of course, Sam is the current president of fame. And yes. for those of you who don't know what fame stands for, it's Frederick acoustic music enterprise. And I do want to make mention that D- Doug has engineered, um, quite a lot, done some live recording or live sound for fame events at the Festival of the Arts, which we could not do this year because of the uh, coronavirus, The um, and has t- um, recorded some of the Chords of Courage winners. Mm-hmm. Sammy, Sammy J. Sammy J., mm-hmm. who has a, a wonderful career in front of her. Um, not sure what she's going to do. She's still young, but um, gosh, a talented young lady. Yeah. So
2: and, and Sam and Catherine were in here about six months ago, and
1: Oh, cool! Recorded a few songs. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. They did say they had some recordings, and the um, I have to upload some of their stuff. So it may be stuff that they recorded here at Shabro Recording Studio with Doctor Doug Smith. Okay, Doug Smith. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, We're going to listen to John Terlazzo, and I bought this shirt in Paris.
4: This shirt in Paris on the old Champs-Élysées from a guy with one arm wearing a navy blue beret I give the man a dollar and he danced with some wild poodle dogs then I put this shirt on my naked back and I went to see Mildred and Maude I showed my shirt to Mildred, I showed my shirt to Maud. I showed my shirt to an old blind cow down where they keep the hogs. Soon everyone was speaking in tongues and biting poison snakes clean through. In this modern complex society, there's no end to what a new shirt can do. took my shirt to a mental place and fixed a broken man's head then me and my shirt we went down to the morgue and raised some people from the dead fed the poor fixed the garage door and made everybody good in bed then we all went down to Albert Camus house before the plague arrived you know and then we just fled
1: The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker in Frederick, Maryland. If you're enjoying the podcast, please check out wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. So wispymopmusic.podbean.com. Or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.
4: I wasn't born for Tinseltown awards, nor to compete with strangers or peers. I wasn't born to dazzle the hordes, they'd cannibalize my shirt with their leers. Who are these so-called judges, with their cellophane titles? I have no use for showbiz sneers, or their American idols.